I mean, I think we'll see higher rates down the road, but for, for the, you know, for, so for, so for between 22 and 23, have we seen the highs in the bond market, high, highest yields in the bond market? Yeah, we could have. Welcome to Wealthion. I'm Wealthion founder, Adam Taggart. Thanks for joining us for part two of our interview with investor and analyst, Bill Fleckenstein. If you haven't yet watched part one of our discussion with Bill, in which he explains why the bond market may be in the process of taking the printing press away from the Federal Reserve, head over to our channel at youtube.com Wealthion and watch it there first. It sets the context for the investment themes we discuss in this video. And Bill also kindly shares his thoughts on which asset classes he thinks are most prudent for the future in the markets that he sees ahead. So be prepared to take good notes. Okay, let's get started watching part two of our interview with Bill Fleckenstein. It seems from what you're telling me, a lot of the macro stuff suggests that, that macro-wise, we're going to be grinding downwards from here and, and, and not heading back to, you know. Yeah, I, I think the chance... Road. That, that that was a, 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 just a, a mini bear market in a, in, in a secular bull market is very little chance that's accurate. <clears throat> I mean, this is a we're, 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 we've been in a bear, bear market, you know, for a while now, and I think it will continue. Um, but obviously, you can have big rallies in the interim. And what I'm what I'm not clear on because of the unique nature of the setup that we have. Is if we had would have if we could have a market that kind of goes sideways, in maybe a big channel, you know, a, you know, a, a big ba big bandwidth, and kind of goes sideways, and you get a sorting out process beneath the surface. I can see that happening again. You know, maybe nominal growth, you know, um, real growth might be slightly negative, but nominal growth is is where it is, and some businesses can do okay in that environment. Um, so I think the 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 overall stock market is is in is in trouble but again it's hard to have a strong opinion on just how much because you, again there's this passive variable that we can't really handicap so i like i said i think we'll we'll learn a lot in earnings season the, 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 there's there's plenty of risks that you aren't being compensated for in the price of average securities and certainly these mega caps that are carrying the market don't make sense that that I means this want to pay 26 times for Apple. I, I realize that people think it's one of the greatest companies ever, but, you know, can they really deliver on that when they're at this size? If two and a, you know, uh, so I, I don't know. I, I think the, the, the really uh, richly valued big cap stocks are quite vulnerable, but so far that, that really hasn't mattered, although it did for a little while last year. Yeah. And, and I want to tie two ideas together here. So um, when you talk about the, the, the passive factor, you really are talking about that sort of giant mindless robot, right? That's just shoving new capital corporate into the market. Cor corporate retirement cash flows into the market. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so let me just say this. If, if we get to a point where, um, you know, sentiment shifts and um, uh, we go from a net capital inflow situation to a net capital outflow situation, uh, I think we've talked about in the past, but, but, you sort of expect to see the reverse effect, right? Where you you, you may see those oh. stocks get hit more than oh, the yeah. rest. I of mean the that market. that 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 with that if and when that happens, then you know you'd have to talk to Mike Green because he'd have a much better handle on that than I would ever have. Um, no, that that would be brutal. That would be brutal. The market then would really go down hard, and the Fed would really panic. Okay, as you as you just sort of mentally map out the next you know year or two where you have your sort of, you know, Fed pauses and then maybe has to pivot and then then has to, you know, get tough again at some point. Do you expect at some point anywhere in that progression to get to that stage where the passive factor becomes a negative one for market prices? I'm sure it can happen. I don't see the, the I don't see the ingredients of it just yet. We could okay. get we could, we could get to a point where enough things are set up in a way we can say, oh, that's 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 likely to happen. I just don't I don't I don't know enough about where layoffs have to go and how bad things have to get. I mean, again, you know, you, 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 you know, or, or sentiment would have to change to make people want to, you know, ch ch you know, these these target date retirement funds that individual people don't have that much flexibility in how what they want to have. Right. So right. a lot of this is orchestrated by HR 
which has laws that it has to deal with, which have been skewed in the favor of the BlackRock Vanguard, the big guys doing this stuff. So uh, again, I don't know what, if you, if you thought that that variable was going to go the other way, like the, the passive inflow is going to be a passive outflow, look, you, look out below. Okay. Okay. Great point. Um, all right. So, and, and we are wrapping up here, Bill, thanks for giving us so much of your time here. So, um, you know, you have had a long history as a successful investor, um, a chunk of that on the short side. Um, as you look in this market environment that we've been talking about, which, you know, I, I would say is highly uncertain, right? I mean, even though it seems like you've got confidence that the the general trajectory is sort of a grinding downwards of of fundamentals. Um, there's a lot of stuff going on that that can send markets higher in the interim. And again, there's a lot of stuff you said, hey, I don't know. I'm going to have to see more data on. So, like, what what asset in this highly uncertain environment? What high, what asset classes, if any, do you like or favor um, as you're sort of trying to navigate all of this? Well, I've been I've been a proponent of precious metals and uh, some of the mining companies that 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 produce gold and silver for some time now. It's an idea that hasn't worked all that well, but it hasn't been terrible either. Um, and I think we're going to be in an environment where precious metals are going to have a chance to really do well. Um, and I think around Sorry to interrupt, but can you explain your primary thesis for why you expect them to do well? Well, around the world, the demand for gold has been pretty substantial. And if you're an investor in most other currencies, you, the, your, the gold that you've owned has appreciated and you feel good about that. The world's central bankers seem to have gotten the memo and you know, they bought the most gold they have in 50, 55 years recently, or last year, I mean. So the problem is none of these currencies are any good. The dollar might be better because it's the dollar, but the mismanagement goes on in all the central banks. So there's no real currency that you can trust. And I think that's why the central bankers have bought gold. Uh, I think uh, the a lot of people really believe in Bitcoin. And I think if those people, if Bitcoin hadn't have come along, some of those people would have been in gold and gold would have been unleashed already. So, it, so it's, it's taken longer to get to the point where it seems like it wants to go. Um, but it protects you against a weak currency, unsound central bank man. Because some of the some of the reasons people buy gold is psychological. They don't trust the government, or they don't trust the central bank. Or so the confidence factor. Jim Grant likes to say that the value of gold is inversely proportional to the trust people have in central bankers. Mm -hmm. And I think that's there's that, that that's a definite factor. So, but I, and I think that you know at some point people could look at the unsustainability of the size of the debts we have here. And all these things, I think, can make people want to own something that's outside the the paper system, you know, stocks and bonds and 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 central banking. And um, uh, like I said, that that's sort of been the case around the world. hasn't really been here in America, but I think that's going to change. Okay, so that's uh, that's because precious it's, metals. It's, it's, the, the, the time is kind of right. There's enough enough things pushing you in the direct that, that direction, and then if. If the action of the underlying thing itself, like gold, starts to behave, then that that tends to bring in more people, right? Pe you know, everyone says they like to buy cheap assets, but they like to buy assets that are going up even more. Yeah, more and and on the day we're talking, gold just crested through two thousand dollars an ounce, which is sort of a psychologically significant, but not spot. That's only in futures, which has got a contango in it, so it's the spot didn't quite get through there. Okay, um, it, but but we're close. Let's put it that yeah, way. Yeah, so right. we're, we're, if, we're if not we do, that, that's yeah, one of those yeah, psychological yeah. numbers that kind of yeah. wakes people up and says, oh, okay, I think it's moving. Yes. Maybe I should be on that train, right? Yeah, or at least think about it, yeah. Yeah, uh, so it sounds like to, for exposure to precious metals, I'm assuming you own some physical, but you, you said you you like the miners, obviously, I'm guessing, because they're a leverage play on the price of the precious metals. Yeah, and some of, them are, some of them represent good value versus what you get and what they might be able to earn and what happens to uh their net asset values as the price goes up or what your expectations of price is so you know there some of them are you know have been are quite cheap uh or or very reasonable especially versus other companies and uh most people like to look at net asset value but net asset value is a function of what you think future prices are going to be and future costs are going to be and future drilling is going to and not all mines are equal so there's a lot of different 
merit, metrics that get thrown around that don't really fit well. So there are a lot. Mining is not a great business. So you know you've got to find some companies that you think are managed well that are in a, a good spot that you think have an ability to grow their reserves or at least have high have uh, um, uh, higher grades so they can have higher margins and things like that more more, more uh, um, you know to offset the the fact that the price bounces around so much. Yeah. So just two quick resources for folks. Um, <clears throat> at the recent Wealthian online conference, we had Rick Rule uh, give a presentation and he gave over 30 uh, stock suggestions for stocks that are on his personal in his personal portfolio that he likes the most right now. So uh, if you want to go uh, purchase the replay video of that conference to get those picks, just go to Wealthion.com slash conference. Um, also, the day you and I were recording this, Bill, uh, we just ran a, um, a, a video from Jeff Clark, where uh, he's a precious metals mining analyst, and he just gave his uh, sort of top picks as well for the sector. I'll put up a link to that here, folks. That might be a fun video to watch after you watch this one. Um, all right, so we've got precious metals, Bill. Um, anything else, or is it more an approach to, you know, if you're going to be along a company, look for these type of attributes in the company? Uh, uh, sorry, you, you broke up a bit when you asked that question. What, what attributes do I look at when I look for at, at individual companies? Yeah, I mean, b b let me put it this way. Besides precious metals, right? I'm assuming you're not just all in cash and precious metals at this point. You probably have some other plays. What what what, what criteria are you looking for for determining what to be in in a market like this? Away from precious metals. So I think we're going to be in a stagflation to an inflationary period for quite some time. So I have been looking for... Uh, uh, kind of unique one-off situations where you have a certain business that can have a barrier to a substantial barrier to entry um, um, because of the nature of that business and where they have good margins. Um, if you have good margins and a, and a, and a barrier to entry um, and, and growth prospects, you can do well in the period we're going into. The average business can't do well in that period, but there are certain unique kinds of businesses that might. And um, it's a lesson I learned in the late 70s, early 80s. That if you can find things that can really grow their units um, uh, and grow fast, then those businesses will be sought out because a lot of people, are, a lot of businesses will be caught up in the stagnation of the, the weak economic activity, whether it's recession or just stagflation. So I've tried to, I've been looking for unit growers um, that have barriers to entry and reasons they can grow and have good margins. And there's a couple of speculative ones that I've found, but I haven't even really talked about them to my subscriber base. So I, I don't really want to talk about them right now. They're, 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 they're quite speculative at this juncture. They're, it's a little bit like venture capital in the public market. Okay. All right. Um, well, look, um, when, when we wrap up here, I'll let you direct folks to where you, you talk to your subscribers so that interested folks, if they want to become one, uh, okay. can. Sure. Um, so I mentioned earlier, uh, well, sorry, real quick before I get to that, um, <clears throat> bonds. So um, what do you think of bonds in this in this environment? I mean, obviously, on this channel, we've been remarking a lot recently that for the first time in forever, in an uncertain market, you can kind of get paid a fair amount to just sit in safety, <laughs> which for a lot of people, if you're not very experienced, that might be the best thing to do. Yeah. Or if you just mm -hmm. want to be preserving capital to deploy it later on at better prices, again, you can do that in, in in, in offset a fair amount of the impact of inflation. Yeah, I think, you know, if you don't go out too far, uh, you know, because remember, even though you're getting a decent return, it's pretty much getting chewed up by inflation. Now, better to get four on your 4% on your money than one. So, you know, I, I think that it's, it's worthwhile to take advantage of these things as best folks can. But the bond market is not like it's, it's, it's paying you to for the, for the potential for the inflation we're liable to see over the next three or four or five years. So I, I don't think the bond market offers up great value relative to how I see the next few years unfolding. On the other hand, it's a good place to park money for sure. All right. And, as long and, as you keep it short, I think. Okay. And, and let me ask about duration for a second, because we, we have had folks on this channel say, uh, look, if the Fed is going to pause, um, then it's likely at some point to start cutting again, right? It might be the summer as the market's currently predicting, or it might be next year, whatever. Um, and as the Fed begins to bring interest rates down, then 
the price action, you know, the bond prices should go up in response, right? That's the inverse mathematical relationship. And that, that uh, factor is the biggest, the further out on the end of the curve that you go. And so some people are saying, and it's it's somewhat speculative, so I'm not saying that this is a guarantee at all, like the short end of the treasury curve is, but some people are, are putting some money in the long end of the curve, you know, to ride that price appreciation when at some point interest rates start to come down. Um, do you, it sounds like maybe you think that's a little too speculative at this point in time, but I don't want to put words in your mouth. Yeah, I mean, the bond market's already front run that idea to some degree, the longer end of the bond market. I'd rather wait and see how events play out. I don't think, you know, getting a three or four handle on 10 year paper is all that exciting. You know, I yeah. don't know where they are right now, but, uh, you know, I, you know, for a trade, there's, you know, there, there are trades that set up all the time. And, but in terms of putting any real long-term money in bonds, because you think that they're, they represent value and the Fed's going to do the right thing. That's way too soon for that trade. Way too soon. Way too soon. <laughs> way too soon. Okay. It's also been said recently on this channel that the peak in rates, uh, at least for the foreseeable future, has been already been put in. I'm just curious if you. Yeah, that's possible. That. That's a, yeah, that's a, that's an that's entirely possible. I don't think the peak for the cycle. I mean, I think we'll see higher rates down the road. But for for the you know for so for, so for between twenty two and twenty three, have we seen the highs in the bond market, high highest yields in the bond market? Yeah, we could have. Okay. I, I don't feel super strongly about that, but we we certainly could have because, like I say, I think the data is going to cooperate with the Fed's economy is going to slow down. The data is going to cooperate a little bit, so they won't be hiking. So then the bond market would have to get a different view of long term inflation to tank if the Fed wasn't hiking, which it could yeah. do. It could do so. Okay. So lastly, let's just touch on shorting because that has uh, been a real, you know, strength in your career. Um, I, I want to say the last time we talked, I think you had, you had said, hey, I've been sort of on the bench as a shorter for a long time and I'm beginning to get involved again. Um, what are you thinking now? It's not, it hasn't been working. Um, I, was, uh, I, I, I wasn't that short near the end of last year. And coming into this year, I had you know almost no exposure. I was I've been short Micron because it's business is a train wreck, but they had a horrible quarter, and the stock was up seven percent the next day. Yeah, you know, a lot of people a lot of people are really complaining about that. Yeah, yeah. Well, so I mean, it just it just it's just one name, but I mean, it's anyway. Obviously, lots of stocks go down all the time, but I it, it doesn't look to me it hasn't been very conducive to finding things to be short. I mean, obviously the financial institutions have been blasted, but um, I tend to stay away from financial stocks for a variety of reasons. But anyway, so it hasn't been all that productive. Now I'll be I'll be going into earnings season. I'll have maybe, a, I'll maybe put on a few puts if I think I can win. And if it starts to work, maybe I'll start to get short. If, if it starts to work, I will for sure. I don't know how aggressive I'll get. We'll have to see. But for right now, I'm, I'm short a sliver of Micron and one other company. Um, called Helena Troy, but that's another issue. Okay. Well, I appreciate you sharing that because um, if at some point, Bill, you get to a point where you feel like, hey, the planets are aligning where I think it's going to be the time to start shorting the market, um, you know, I'll keep inviting you on this program every quarter or so, but you have an open invitation to reach out to me and say, hey, okay. you know. Don't, I, don't, I, hold I, your, don't hold your breath. Okay. Okay. And that's good to hear. That's good to hear. Think, we have some think, people that think, okay, the market's just, it, 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 it's got to be poised to just melt down tomorrow. Right. And I don't hear you saying that. I, I, I don't think so, but we'll see. All right. Well, look, as we wrap up here, uh, Bill, two last questions for you. Um, one is just, do you have any additional parting counsel for the prudent investor who's just trying to navigate this uncertain time and, and most importantly, just doesn't want to become collateral damage to whatever happens here. Anything important that we haven't touched on yet that you think is just worth letting folks know? No, uh, I, we covered an awful lot. I mean, I, I think, you know, it's a, it's a very good time to be super clear in your head why you're, why you own something and what your game plan is and what you expect to have happen. You don't want to rationalize things that don't seem to be working you know, because it's, it's it's a dangerous period that we're in and going into, even though it's been okay for the last, you know, this quarter in the stock market. I think it's a time to just be very thoughtful and very careful. Okay, thoughtful, careful. Don't want to put words in your mouth. Would you also say defensive at this point or? I mean, I mean, 
if you own a bunch, if you own a, a large exposure to gold, is that defensive or offensive? I mean, after a certain point, something that's defensive is offensive. Depends on the size of your position. Right. So, I mean, it depends how comfortable you feel, how strongly you feel. I have my position in precious metals and mining stocks is very offensive because I have so much of it. Like, if you just had a sliver, then it'd be defense. So, defense and offense. What's that mean? It's all about exposure. Yeah, and that's kind of where I was going, which is if you're a regular person, you don't have a ton of experience. This may be a time to be more liquid, right? Yeah, and be more, uh, like I said, be more careful and just because you know, the the market's not able to bail out your mistakes with an upward trajectory. Okay, great. That's the clarity I was looking for. Thank you so much. So, last question, Bill, is for folks that have really enjoyed this conversation. There's probably only a few, but for folks that this might have right. been the first time that they've been exposed to you, where can they go to learn more about you and your work? Uh, my website is FleckensteinCapital.com. It's a um, I, I write a column every day and I answer questions and uh, it's uh, um, about a, 10 bucks a month to read it. Best uh, best deal out there, I got to say. <laughs> if I do, I for value. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, right, I just wanted to charge enough because I didn't want to, if, 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 if people didn't want to pay, I wouldn't do it because why do something if it's it, it, like that? But I want to make it so that anyone could afford it. So that's why I picked that price. All right. Well, well, I'm I'm very glad that you did uh, making your expertise, uh, you know, that affordable to people is a, is a real gift. Um. All right, Bill. And and when we um when we edit this, I'll put up the URL to Fleck and Sun Capital on the screen. Um. Uh, but also, you're pretty active on Twitter, right? So share your Twitter handle with folks. Uh, my Twitter Twitter handle is at Fleck Cap. Um. And I yeah I'm I sporadically active, but anyway. Okay. Well, I follow it and I encourage other folks to do the same. And, and Bill, we'll, we'll put that handle up on the screen too. When we okay. This. okay. Okay. This has been wonderful, Bill. Thanks so much for giving us so much time. Uh, love having you on the program. Look forward to your next appearance here. All right. Thanks. Thanks for asking all the good questions, Adam. All right. Well, now's the time in the program where we bring in the lead partners from New Harbor Financial, one of the endorsed financial advisory firms by Wealthion. I'm joined as usual by John Lodra and Mike Preston. Guys, great to see you. Let's dive right in. Uh, always love it when Bill's on the channel. Um, just a such a great thinker. Um, doesn't sugarcoat his opinions. Um, John, curious, what were some of your top takeaways from the discussion? Hi, Adam. Uh, yeah, hey, we we love hearing uh, Bill's comments. He's always got a nice uh, nice delivery and and very uh, very relevant commentary on what's going on in the economy and markets. I do have to confess a uh, a hair uh, admiration of the full head of hair on his his head. Everybody so, loves Bill's hair. Yeah, it would, it would serve me handy in my old old man's garage band that uh, that I had a had a head of hair like that. But uh, unfortunately, I don't. But uh, most importantly, his his insight and comments are are very relevant and timely. Um, you know, we can't have these these uh, conversations about commentary about the Fed and the Fed's um, um, distortion and and um, policies that have really affected markets over the last uh, decade, couple decades or more, and uh, and and certainly still is a factor. Um, you know, I think he he basically um, has the take that the Fed is probably done hiking for this cycle, that there'll be an event-driven um, eventual reason for them to stop hiking and, and reversing. But he he thinks uh, for this year they're done, and has no doubt that they'll probably at some point have to start to reduce again, driven by events, but only to come back and have to raise rates again uh, to address the the underlying inflation and and. Um, you know, uh, speculation that that these policies have have wrought. Um, so we don't have a particularly strong view. There's there's plenty of cases that, uh, and I think our general view is that we're we're way closer to the end or or the end of of a hiking hiking cycle uh, by the Fed. Um, you know, the implied Fed futures are are um, I think uh, pricing in a little less uh, likelihood of, of 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 rate increases in in the wake of some weak you know jolts data, the job data. Uh, I think uh, there was an ADP report out this morning. Frankly, I didn't see it yet, but there is, a, a, again, a, a, a game of chicken between the markets and the Fed. Uh, markets are pricing in a, a much, much less aggressive Fed uh, federal funds rate futures uh, now than they were just recently. I think I saw by January of next year, the market has implied that the federal funds rate will be down about a percent, down, down closer to... Um, 3.8%. Uh, and you have folks at the Fed, including like uh, 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 the Governor Meister, I think she's Cleveland Fed, 
coming out yesterday saying that you know we got to be five or above and we'll probably have to stay there so there's definitely this uh continuing game of bluff uh or chicken between the markets and the fed uh, i loved bill's analogy about uh you know dead hang uh lifts in the, in the world of crossfit uh you want and i think you said you know you might have a goal of being able to do 20 dead hang uh uh pull-ups and uh, you might talk a tough game but actually doing what it takes to get there is is a whole nother story and he likened that to the the fed talking tough about uh continuing to raise rates but maybe not being able to get there so i, I love that analogy and i think we we probably err on the side of uh you know the the rate increases from here are are limited if if at all um we don't think there's going to be a, a a sudden pivot unless there's a, a tremendous uh event driven breakage whether it's you know we find there's more contagion in the banks than than currently is priced in or we get uh you know sudden recessionary shock and and free fall in markets uh and as we've said many times before usually when the fed pivots uh especially from speculative extremes and valuation extremes that we have like we have now uh that's usually cold comfort that's usually a, a sign to 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 get out of markets not in them uh it's quite the contrary of, of the last year the other key um a headline that we'll want to talk about, and, and I know Mike's got some charts we'll, he'll want to walk through, is you know, we had a very strong move higher in, in gold and gold miners uh, in, re in recent days and weeks. And, um, you know, Bill was very favorable on that on that space, as are we. And um, those are some of the big takeaways. The other thing is, you know, Bill thinks, and we do too, it's time to take the uh, seat of the pants um, policy uh, that the Fed has, has undertaken these last several, you know, last decade or so. They used to do things by rules, and he, he referred to Volcker's, uh, uh, you know, rules that he he imparted when he was he was in tenure, and um, certainly the the seat of the pants policy approaches of of uh, Powell, Yellen, and Brynaki, and, and even before that Greenspan um, are anything but rules based. They're kind of seat of the pants, uh, change the goal goalpost kind of uh, measures, and about time. And we agree to to hold it to some mechanistic uh, rules rather than uh, seat of the pants. So I'll, I'll stop there and I'm sure we got more to talk about. All right. Yeah. No, Bill is, is makes no, uh, you know, no qualms of his um, uh, or doesn't pull any punches in the fact that he, he really sees the fed as a ship of fools uh, at this point in time um, or clown show as other people might say. Um, so uh, I think a lot of people watching this video agree with him and with you, John, that we'd love to see a return to more of a rules-based or as Axel Marcus said when he's on this program a lot, that the Fed needs to have a framework, right? It can't just be in reaction mode all the time. Um, I don't necessarily see a trigger for that happening anytime soon. So right now, I think we can only wish, but but who knows? Um, uh, so agree with everything you said. The um, a couple of quick things I want to point out. Um, uh, you, you talked about how the uh, bill thinks that the Fed is, is likely going to pause now and, and and likely to hold it for the rest of the year. That is very different, as you were saying, from the current market esti estimations, the market predictions and where the Fed funds rate is going to go. So we still have this game of chicken that you're talking about. And I took care to ask Bill about that specifically because, you know, either Powell has to pivot, right, and prove the market right, or Powell is going to remain resolute in holding the pause. Uh, and the market's going to have to reprice downwards. So if Bill is correct, and it's the latter where Powell is able to actually pause for the rest of the year, then there is this other leg in the market that's down leg that's going to have to happen as the market wakes up and says, ah, you know what, we, we, or, our, our predictions are, are, are pricing that we've, we've priced in is, is wrong, and we have to now walk it back. Um, so we, we still have that we still have to figure out who's going to win this game of chicken and, and whichever party does, it's going to mean very different things for the markets. Um, you also mentioned that uh, there was some jobs data that came out this week. We, we got both the JOLTS data and the ADP data this week, and uh, they were both disappointments. Um, and we've been talking forever about how the, the jobs data that's been coming out from the government side of things just increasingly did not seem to match what we're seeing in reality out in the world. And a lot of people have been who've been critics of that data have been saying, yeah, we're going to start to see some pretty big downward adjustments. This very well may be the start of that. And we've talked about the home, the, sorry, the hope framework in the past, which sort of talks about how the different dominoes fall as you begin to go in recession. 
Um, and you know, housing is one of the first ones. That's the H in hope because it's very interest rate sensitive, right? As soon as interest rates go up, mortgage rates go up, that begins to bring housing prices down. Employment, which is the E in hope, is usually the last domino to fall because these companies have incurred a lot of cost in finding and hiring these employees. They've trained them already. They don't want to let them go unless they absolutely have to. People have been pointing to how strong and robust the jobs market is and saying, hey, this is the bulwark against recession. This is why we don't have to worry about a recession yet. We can talk about a soft landing. It now actually looks like that E domino. I'm not going to say it's toppling yet, but it is beginning to look pretty wobbly at this point. And, and I'll make the prediction that the data is going to get significantly worse as we go through the rest of this year. But obviously, we don't know for sure. So so we'll keep monitoring that. Um, all right. Well, look. Um, John, I mean, uh, Mike, I want to come over to you real quickly to see if there's anything else you want to add to John's, you know, kind of key takeaways from the conversation. But I want to drill with you into with you afterwards about what John mentioned about what's happening with gold. We've had a really big week for gold this week. Yeah, not too much to add. Both of you covered, I think, the material really well. I think the message has been that, you know, if for the Fed to do the right thing, it would be very painful and they're just not willing to do it. And, you know, I think that's a shame. You know, frankly, um, the Fed really wants to get a chance to declare victory. And, you know, Bill really thinks because of, um, uh, you know, they, you know, because of that fact, they, they're probably not going to pivot or cut as soon as people think, um, you know, the data, the economic data is weak. That actually gives them cover to let that follow through and create some market weakness and then maybe cut later. But, yeah, you know, and frankly, hey, Michael, I'm sorry to interrupt, but just one other bit of data point I didn't mention earlier is um, the Atlanta Fed's GDP now calculations for Q1 GDP all quarter had been very high. Just like 10 yeah. days ago, it was at three and a half percent. After this jobs data that's come through, it's now been downgraded to just 1.5 percent. Um, so we're seeing a pretty strong deterioration uh, in the estimates for for economic growth right now. Isn't it funny in the backwards world that we live in psychologically that that's you know technically a good thing because the Fed really seems to think you know they seem to care about their credibility. Um, at least that's the way it seems. We're going on 15 years of kind of this charade, and it's really more than that. Um, the quantitative easing was highly stimulative, like Bill talked about, and you know it created real wealth, but not necessarily equally. And and it was probably not in the Fed's right to choose where that wealth went. And, and frankly, I guess they really couldn't choose where it went. But really where it went is to the people that were closest to the money funnel, you know, the, the ones that were kind of in the know or in the banking system. Right. The and ones and that who, already who, had assets. Who, and who owned the financial assets that benefited the most from it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So that wasn't really fair. But look, they, they need some kind of reaction to declare victory. You know, my personal hope, and I know this sounds bad and it sounds negative, is that they do lose control, you know, and that the market does have a strong reaction. And that we actually finally have a chance of learning something. He he talks about how we immediately bailed out Silicon Valley Bank, and that was a good chance to to learn something or to teach a lesson. Um, and that we blew a good chance by you know essentially backstopping it with unlimited loans, that type of thing. And so very some very wealthy people sweated over the weekend, and you know essentially had nothing to worry about in the end. But had we let that thing play out, then maybe we could have learned something. But we didn't learn something from 2008. We didn't learn something from any other crisis along the way. And we didn't really learn much from this. And so he says what to do. Well, you know, th this point, I guess I wanted to make. The thing that he would do more than anything is be honest with the people. And I just wish that we had that today. You know, there's really no discussion from the central bankers about what they're doing or why they're doing what they're doing. I mean, you know, the statements are pretty brief. And I know the Fed puts out you know, they've got something like 300 economists, but you really can't understand even their testimony that much. It's very, very kind of nebulous at times, their their response to certain answers. It's always measured, always careful. I don't know that really what we're hearing is the honest truth that, look, this we, this cannot go on forever. We can't keep bailing out everything. We can't print money ad infinitum without consequences. We're going to have to do something else. But that's what Bill said he would do if he was emperor. He'd be honest. And he'd put us on some type of standard, maybe the gold standard. Well, hallelujah, that would be nice. You know, I think that would be great. We can always hope, right? That's <laughs> probably not going to happen. But in the meantime, gold has broken out. You asked about gold. Uh, gold has finally broken out above $2,000 an ounce spot. The futures are 
a little bit higher. I'm looking at a chart right now, which I'm going to share in a minute. Um, but gold has, uh, you know, finally punched through. And so I will just go ahead and share and then uh, I'll go through the chart and I'll come back to you. So here's the gold chart. Got off the screen. This is a gold chart on a weekly basis. We'll go through all the different time frames here. But gold right now in the futures is trading at 2038. The spot market is just a few dollars below there. Let me start with the month because I think it shows this the best. This is a 20-year chart of gold. All throughout the, the early 2000s, gold was on this big rise. And it looked like it was going to go to the moon. What we didn't know at the time was that was going to be a short-term top. And over the next six to seven years, we were going to have this big bear market in gold that brought us down about 40% from the high. This was painful for, for gold believers during this time. Although if you bought gold early enough, you were still doing very well over this period. But a lot of people that bought gold late to the party got tired of this bear market over time. And that's essentially what causes a consolidation in a bear market. But it was creating this giant triangle, which finally broke out in 2018. We printed a new high. This looked like we were going to break out and continue. But at that time, we put in a short-term high. And then over the next year and a half, we created this consolidation, this triangle. You know, so, and that's why I thought that the apex of this triangle, 1820, was very important. I've, I've kind of watched a lot of charts and I've never seen such vicious shakeouts in both directions. And again, we're on the monthly chart. So we had that old high at 2100. Then we, we consolidated, we broke out, and it looked like we were finally going to have this bullish pennant or bullish flag breakout. But it was it was basically a fake out, not a, bake, a breakout. And we had seven straight down months, which hadn't happened since the 1980s. And then it looked like, sorry, bulls, you know, that was a trap. And now we had the bearish breakout. Well, you know, everyone got out and went short. And that was a trap on the bearish side. It came back. We retook that 1820 level. And over the last few months have consolidated and held above it, as you can see. It might go to the weekly chart now. And this is that 1820 level, broke above it, tagged it, and boom, here we are. And so this is the weekly chart. We're not quite above these previous highs. And if I went to the daily chart, it doesn't go out quite long enough. But let me go back to the weekly because it doesn't go long enough. We're back to these levels. So this is August of 20. This is March of 22. And here we are again. If we definitively close above these swing highs, maybe 2100 on the futures, I'm going to go back to the month. I think that we'll probably see a, a pretty swift rise up into maybe the target of 2500 in the intermediate term. So it's hard to say that this is not a very bullish thing. You know, it's a, it's a bullish chart and it was fake, fake out in both directions. And lastly, gold stocks. I'll just say something about them and then I'll stop. On the monthly chart of gold, you can see that if gold stocks were back at their swing high when, when gold was last here, the GDX, for instance, should be trading up at 45, yet it's down here at 35. What's going on? We're not really sure, frankly. We're not really sure either maybe this was a little bit of euphoria in gold stocks. Or maybe there's been some value destroyed in the process, or maybe, frankly, gold stocks are about to wake up and start to catch up. But there's a really good opportunity in gold stocks. And as far as gold goes, one of the better charts out there, really from a technical standpoint, one of the better charts out there. All right. Um, and uh, Mike, uh, uh, I was going to ask you this when you had to chart up, but it's, it, it's fine. You can keep it down. Um, but I, I'd seen yesterday on Twitter, I haven't verified this myself, but that um, there was a claim that where gold closed yesterday, I think there were only like five days in history where gold had closed at that level or higher here, right? So I just want to sort of put into context that what we're, what we're seeing right now in terms of price action is, is pretty rarefied for gold. Um, and who knows what's going to happen going forward from here. Uh, we'll obviously be watching it really closely. Um, but to your point about uh, gold moving first here, silver is starting to catch up. Uh, silver had been sort of languishing for a good while, been underperforming gold. Um, now it's beginning to catch up. And so, you know, I, I think in, in times like these, when gold moves 
um, you then see the catch up between both silver and the mining companies from here. So to your point there, Mike, you know, we, we very well may see the the sort of whip whip snap or the whiplash effect here of since gold has now moved, those other assets that tend to be highly correlated to the price of gold, you know, may start moving farther faster here, correct? I certainly think so. Yeah. Silver had a, a fantastic day yesterday. And um and the silver miners did very well as well. But my whole point about the miners is that they're definitely lagging. You know, it's it's a uh, it's a it's kind of a puzzling thing to see. I believe they will start to catch up, and that there could be a very good opportunity there. But you know, just take a look at a chart of GDX or any maybe even the silver mining ETF, and compare that to a chart of silver and or gold, and there's a big gap between where they should be if they were trading at the level where it was just uh, you know not too long ago. So uh, very bullish on them. Everything is within reason. Keep your exposures to a reasonable asset to an allocation percentage. We have hedges that we continue to reposition, but it looks very uh, opportunistic to us. Okay, um, I want to I want to um, refer to a comment that was made in a very recent video. Uh, it was an excellent, excellent interview uh, that we just did uh, on Wealthy on with uh, Matt Pipenberg um, of Matterhorn Asset Management, um, and and Matt, you know, he he's very focused on gold in general. Um, because that's what his company uh, sells. But he was talking about sort of the long arc of both his career and, and obviously of history. Matt's got a really great um, grasp of the arc of history and economic history and the role that gold has played in it at times. And he, he, he kind of boiled it down to this great analogy. Um, he was a baseball player growing up in his, uh, in his youth. And he said, you know, he said, we, we really all kind of knew uh, pretty early on in a game, usually who was going to win. And it was the team with a better pitcher, right? If, if, if there was a team that had a, a much stronger pitcher, you know, we, yes, we all went out in the field and we all, you know, played our positions, but, but we kind of knew what the outcome of the game was going to be. Right. Um, and he said, look, that's, that's what really gives me confidence in gold here in the long term." He said, relative to all the other fiat currencies, when you look at, at the destruction or the declination of their purchasing power of every major fiat currency versus a whole bunch of, of different um, other hard assets that are out there. Um, he said, you know, it's just, it, it's very clear over time that these things just do not do a good job of preserving value in the long haul. And of course, when you look at gold's performance, it's done far better. And so he says, I just think of gold as the better pitcher in the story. And, you know, as the world begins to wake up to a lot of the challenges that the you know the, the economies that have fiat currencies, which are basically every economy these days, uh, are facing, um, and even here in the West, you know, the past week we've seen a lot of headlines about de-dollarization, um, which I think is a, a a true and accurate trend, but I think one that's going to take a lot longer to play out than than maybe some people that are, you know, running around screaming in fear that that the dollar's you know going to collapse tomorrow versus other currencies. Um, I, I don't think we're in sort of that accelerated uh, of a collapse here of of certainly the dollar or any of these other really major fiat currencies. But you know, obviously, the world's faith in them is continuing to get shaken, and so I think the world is waking up to the fact here, or potentially that might be part of what's behind gold's rise here is that people are saying, "Hey, look." We're beginning to realize it's the better picture and you know we're starting to move more capital and come back to you to, to comment on this but um the things that that does sort of how small the precious metals markets are relative to the other pools of assets in the world um and so you know if just a little bit of money from the bond market, say, decides to uh, park itself over in gold, right? Or all the money that's gone into treasuries, you know, relatively recently for safety and whatnot says, you know what, maybe I just want to put a little bit of that capital into, into gold to, uh, to hedge my bets. Uh, the, the price of gold and certainly silver would just explode, correct? I think that's absolutely true. And I'm hesitant to cite facts because I'm, I'm probably wrong on them, but I've heard I've heard several people say that the entire amount of gold in the world would fit roughly into one Olympic-sized pool. And I'd have to look that up and fact check that. But that's it must be more than that. But it's a pretty, it's a pretty small amount. It's a tiny, tiny percent 
of the entire world's financial assets. And so, yeah, if, if just even one or 2% of the world's assets or cash went into gold, it would go up many times over. I've heard Jim Rickard say that um, he, th he thinks that gold could go to you know 10,000 an ounce. I think that could easily be possible. But I think the easy thing to do is to sit back and look at that chart. It's one of the better looking charts out there. Combine that with the fact that we don't really trust the Fed and these shenanigans to go on forever. It's an easy investment to make. And I wouldn't make any grandiose um, you know, projections, but I think that it's very likely that we could see 2,500 on gold in the relatively near term, you know, maybe within, maybe within 12 months, maybe within six months, even, you know, we'll see. So uh, yeah, it's, it's a very, very small deal, uh, a market, silver and gold and the miners. Uh, it wouldn't take much at all to move them much higher. You know, I want to set people's expectations. Don't, don't expect them to be you know, doubling or tripling from here on, on the broad sense in a short period of time. You know, for instance, the whole index is probably not going to double or triple very quickly, but yeah, some of the smaller miners could certainly outperform. We prefer to be in the the whole sector right now to just add exposure to the you know to, to the move in the whole sector. But some of the small miners probably will double or triple pretty quickly. But yeah, there's there's good opportunity there. Yeah, and I, I, just on that point, um, you know, we had Rick Rule on our conference um, what two and a half weeks ago or so. He shared a whole bunch of of mining stock picks. Those those miners have actually moved quite nicely, um, as has uh, the ones have the ones that um, uh, Fred Hickey. Uh, when he was interviewed on this program, gosh, about what, uh, maybe 10 days ago, um, he's got one or two in there that have actually gone up by like close to 50% um, since uh, since he mentioned them, like I said, just maybe not even quite two weeks ago. So we are beginning to see some of the some of the quality players in that space really begin to move fast. Um, and so if you're right, Mike, in the general index, begins to really pick up from here. I mean, there could be some really attractive returns on, on some of these smaller guys. Um, all right, John, we'll look, bringing it to you to begin to wrap things up here. Um, you know, I talked to Bill about his thoughts on bonds. Um, also sort of asked him, okay, you know, what else are you looking uh, at in terms of, you know, companies that are attractive to you? He said that, that you know, shorting, which has sort of been his specialty in the past, he thinks there will come a time for it, but he's not sure that it's right now. Um, anything else about sort of his, his investment outlook uh, that, uh, you know, caught your attention is worth commenting on here? Yeah, he uh, he he did he did comment about bonds uh, in, in a lot of different ways, and and frankly, his his comments really align with our views. Um, like he, we we don't think now is the time to be loading up uh, for long term holds, anyways, on longer term treasuries at a, a three or four percent uh, yield handle. Um, th these are not compelling long term holds. Uh, we do have a, a tactical trade uh, for our clients. What we we consider to be a tactical trade. For clients in longer-term treasuries, 20-plus-year treasuries, uh, but by no means do we view that uh, in the context of this is a place to park money for a long period of time. We think there's probably some, uh, there's been some nice upside over the last uh, several days, in fact, and, and last couple of weeks in that sec in that space, and we think just further upside. But we we will probably look to uh, hedge uh, that that position, maybe take some call option premium in if we get. For example, TLT is a good proxy for that, uh, ticker symbol TLT. If we get into the mid-teens, it's uh, 107, 108 now, I think. I didn't look right now to see where it is. But if we get in the mid-teens, 115-ish, somewhere there, it might be a very good time to uh, take in some call option premium as a way to, to hedge some downside or, or trim positions that have risen up uh, dramatically. Uh, but we, like him, favor the very short end of the curve. Uh, uh, Short-term treasuries are a big part of our client holdings right now. Again, not because we expect to hold them there forever or, or even a long period of time, but because of the safety, security, and liquidity that they provide to be able to pivot into other things. Um, you know, this lesson that's gone on with the bank's stresses, that's a lesson that also can be taken to heart by individual bond investors. Um, you know, in the case of the banks, they went out and, and bought longer-term uh, security treasuries and 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 then found that they couldn't sell them because they were underwater to meet redemption requests. Well, same thing for a household. If you have living expenses you've got to make, you better be careful about locking up into longer term bonds because you may find yourself with that same illiquidity risk and, and have, have to be forced to sell these longer term bonds at 
what could be losses. And then, and that's a longer term hold. I think again, we think in a, in a, in a long in, a, in the short term, we do think there's upside in in, in longer term bonds, and and there'll be a better time to sell than than right now. Um, I did want to quickly uh, just put a, a capstone on the discussion with gold. You know, it is a, an area that we 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 do feel is very compelling, but it's all within reason. You know, we have a, a target 10% allocation to gold mining stocks for clients. We may let that get up to 15%, you know, within reasonable bounds, because we do think you don't have to have a lot of gold or gold miners to have a very impactful uh, result on your situation. Um, and and so, so as bullish as we are, um, someone that comes to us with 80% in gold, we're going to have a, a long talk with them about, is this right for you? And for some piece, people, that may be right in the context of their overall situation, but there can be way too much of a good thing in, in, in a lot of cases. And, and uh, you know, gold is not destined or guaranteed to go higher from here. There's very compelling likelihood of that, but uh, it's all about position sizing. And I just want to relate one kind of practical thing. Um, you know, as much as we study markets, our real jobs are to work with individuals and, and families and real people with their money. And I uh, can't tell you how often we hear from the folks we talk to that, um, you know, want to have a little insurance in their picture. I mean, central banks bought gold at the highest rate in 55 years, I think, you know, and, and Bill talked about that in, in your talk with you. If central banks are buying gold, and, and these are the, the gods of the money system, by all means, individuals should be thinking about uh, gold as an insurance policy or a hedge against those very policies. And I can't tell you how many uh, conversations we have with folks that might have other financial advisors or whatever. And and when they raise the concept of even a modest allocation, they get looked at like they're crazy or they get laughed at, you know, basically saying, uh, you know, uh, you know, I think Warren Buffett referred to it as a pet rock and doesn't pay, you know, this is this is not uh, a renegade asset class. It's a very prudent insurance policy to have in an overall diversified financial plan. But uh, big picture, we think most risk assets uh, de deserve to be avoided in, in 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 large in a large way. Very very lightly allocated to stocks right now. Uh, we wouldn't be shorting markets outright right now for our clients because of the very reasons that that Bill isn't. Um, these are uh, really tricky times, uh, but we think. You know, playing defense is uh, more than half the battle, and, and being poised to to uh, you know act when things are more compelling. All right. Well, well said. And now, now that gold is showing signs of life again, I just want to remind folks: uh, if you're new to investing in gold, we get lots of questions from uh, people that are thinking about it for the first time. About well, there are all these different ways to hold it, and should I get it in physical bullion? Should I own an ETF? Should I own a mining stock? And you know, if I do own it physically, should I have it myself, or should I store it somewhere remotely? Um, we put together a primer that kind of walks through the pros and cons of all those different options. Uh, if you haven't read it before, would like to read it, just go to wealthion.com/slash/how-to-buy, and that walks you through all the options for how to both buy and store uh, so gold and silver. Um, and uh, uh, in terms of uh, getting some ideas on perhaps some of these uh, mining stocks on, on which to uh, invest in, um, as, as John and I and Mike and I have talked on this program a lot, for most people, especially if you don't have any real expertise or experience in, in trading them, you probably just want to stick to the, the major indices um, like the, the GDXs of the world and capture what's called the beta uh, of, of the sector. Um, it's definitely the safest way to try to ride uh, the, the overall performance of the, the the mining sector, which still can be pretty darn volatile. Um, so I want to remind folks that this is a volatile and, and, and fairly speculative um, part of the investing spectrum, which is one of the reasons why we, we encourage people to work with a professional financial advisor in taking positions in them, um, an advisor that's experienced in trading with them who can give them you know, real world experienced advice and advice on how to hedge their positions too. Um, but uh, uh, um, if you want to get some uh, you know, specific ideas of, of some stocks to invest in, um, I mentioned that Rick Rule shared a whole bunch, uh, and not just in the precious metals mining sector, but in, in all the natural resources sector. I think he shared over 30 individual stock names that are in his personal portfolio that uh, have his attention most right now, that he sort of favors most right now. Uh, and if you want to get that, uh, if you want to watch that video, uh, if you didn't attend the conference, uh, you can go purchase the replay of the entire conference, which includes that Rick Rule presentation over at wealthion.com slash conference. 
Uh, and just in wrapping up here, um, Bill did a great job of setting the context. Mike and John came here and I think just really sort of, you know, shined a bright light on, on their framework and process for how they look at this space. But as I said, uh, if you are interested in taking advantage of what might be happening in the precious metal space right now, or, or just in navigating this highly uncertain market that Bill, you know, talked to us, uh, talked to us about, um, highly recommend you work with a professional financial advisor um, who, you know, takes into account all the macro issues and challenges and opportunities that, that Bill discussed, um, helps build a specific personalized plan for you, but also because you have a real life and have other you know, true priorities to focus on with your time, uh, can take lead in executing that plan for you um, and obviously keeping you informed and, and, and you know, contacting you to call audibles on the plan when, when important developments happen along the way. If you have a good advisor who can do that for you, great, stick with them. If you don't, um, or if you just like a second opinion from one who does, maybe even John and Mike and their team there at New Harbor Financial, then schedule a free consultation with one of the financial advisors that Wealthion endorses. You can do that by filling out the short form over at Wealthion.com. Uh, it's free, so it doesn't cost you anything. Uh, there's no strings attached. There's no commitment to work with these guys. It's just a public service that they offer. Um, all right. Well, in wrapping up here, um, John, I'll let you have the, or actually, Mike, I'll let you have the last word this week uh, in terms of just things people should be thinking about as we head into uh, what's going on in the markets right now. Yeah, we're at a pretty critical point on the S&P. I, I know we didn't share the chart on that, but uh, the, you know, the S&P 500 has been in this trading range for a long time. In fact, it's trading where it was a year ago, just about a year ago. The end of April, it was at these levels. And so here we are still we have recently broken out of a, a downtrend line, um, but it's very it's very unclear where we're going to go from here. The 50 and 200 day moving average have been treading water right next to each other for weeks on end. Now, recently, the 50 day did cross over the 200 day, at least on the exponential moving average, the so-called golden cross. So it's tough because short term indicators are once again pressing on the bullish side. The macro, though, is bad. And it wouldn't take much, but maybe one down day, one big down day would negate all of those, all of those signals. And so we're really kind of at that no man's land point, all while the macro is terrible. Valuations are ridiculously high. And, uh, you know, Bill and, 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 uh, and we here on the show talked about the macro data being bad. So, you know, when you can make four and a half percent on short term bonds, close to five percent on on uh, you know maybe slightly longer CDs, there's really not a lot else to do other than reduce risk, make sure you've got some real assets like gold and silver, and have a bunch of cash for what's likely going to be opportunities. There is an alternative. Don't worry about missing the melt-up. And frankly, here's the problem. We could have a short-term melt-up. If we break through 4,200 convincingly, then I think it's probably going to create a little bit of a fear of missing out rally or a FOMO rally. I would say don't even don't even chase that. Decide what you want to do here and just enjoy the summer. Frankly, you know, I would I would reduce to 30% equities or lower, maybe maybe even lower than that. Put a big chunk in 4.5% yielding treasury bills, maybe maturing six months out. It's going to be hard to beat 45 or 5% in any risk assets here. Just sit back, relax, enjoy the summer and uh, watch what happens. I think there'll be better opportunities later. All right. Well, well said, Mike. And folks, if you enjoyed this conversation with Bill, would like to see him return as well as other great minds like him, please support this channel by hitting the like button, then clicking on the red subscribe button below, as well as that little bell icon right next to it. Mike and John, thanks so much for hanging with me for another week. Whatever the markets do from here, we will be deconstructing for folks next week. Everybody else, thanks so much for watching. Thank you, Adam. See you soon. Goodbye, Adam. We'll see you next week. Thank you very much. If you'd like to schedule a consultation with one of the financial advisors at New Harbor Financial, simply go to Wealthion.com. These consultations are completely free and there are no strings attached. The good folks at New Harbor will simply answer any questions you have about your investment goals or your portfolio and give you their best advice given their latest market outlook. They're willing to do this because they care about protecting people's wealth. And because Wealthion has connected them with so many thoughtful investors just like you over the past decade. We started doing this because so many people have approached us in frustration, looking for a solution because they're feeling out of alignment 
or downright ridiculed by the standard financial advisors who have been managing their money. You know the type. The kind that just pushes all of your money into the market, scoffs at the idea of owning gold, and when you bring up concerns about the market's sky-high valuations, they say, don't worry, the market will always take care of you. For many of the reasons discussed in today's video, we think this is one of the most challenging and treacherous times in history for investing. We strongly believe that today's investors are best served working in partnership with a conscientious professional financial advisor who understands the risks in play. Now, we're agnostic which professional advisor you work with, as long as they're good. If you're already working with one, that's fantastic. Stick with them. But if you don't, or are having trouble finding one you respect or trust, then consider talking to John and Mike and the team at New Harbor. Now, for those about to ask, yes, there's a business relationship between Wealthion and New Harbor, which we've put in place to make sure everything is handled according to SEC regulations. All the details on this are clearly provided on the Wealthion.com website. Also, it's important to note that New Harbor is able to work with U.S. citizens, green card holders, and those with existing assets in the USA. But for regulatory reasons, they aren't able to take on non-U.S. clients. All right. With all that said, if you'd like some insight and guidance on how to protect your wealth during this unprecedented time in the markets, go to Wealthion.com to schedule your free consultation with the good folks at New Harbor. Thanks for watching.